We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way, and I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 203 weeks into 14 days to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside the fan favorite. You know him, you love him. He's back for another week. Marty Foster. Marty, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. I've I'm, I'm got that, that feel-good feeling you get when you do some hard work, not just uh, shining your ass behind a desk, um, typing. That's not real work. Obviously, it's how I earn a living. But real work, welding, manufacturing, fabricating, building things, that you get a big payoff endorphin wise when you complete these tasks so That's it's a job well good. done yeah job well done uh, of course that undercuts your your previous statement of saying there's only one real job which is farmer well it, it kind of does cut across because you, you've you've got this situation where when you get a a big yield a big crop come in it's basically money that just comes out of the ground as long as you've got somewhere to sell it uh, and and that's yeah. the problem, isn't it? Um, well, it it is, and and don't forget that farmers also weld too. Well, they have to. They have to. They're not going to pay somebody else to do it for them, are they? No. Um, the guy who uh, delivers my um, wood for my log burner and is also my chimney sweep. When he trained in Poland as an agricultural engineer, so he was doing forestry stuff and other things. Part of his course was welding. And and they do. It's included inside most agricultural qualifications. But I was, uh, as I said in prep, I had this analogy to relate to the um, to the listeners. I bought what I thought was some small uh, four inch diameter reels of welding wire, but they were in fact ten inch diameter, and there was two of them, not four, so that I could fit it in my welding machine i had to unwind some off one of the big reels and wind it onto the small reel now the thing is metal has memory and it remembers what shape it was in if it's been in that shape for quite some time and although i'd wound it on as tight as i thought was necessary and poked the little end of the wire through so it couldn't move as soon as i pulled that out to feed it into the welding machine it just all went like a spring and unspooled and made a right mess and that's i think that's how we are as people we've been used to being on a 10 inch diameter spool with a certain amount of freedom and this is 
the shape that our lives have taken and, and our memory of that shape. And recent events have tried to force us onto a much smaller spool. So the moment that the the thing that's holding us on that spool is released, we are going to spring back and we are going to move away from that restriction. Again, I know people aren't metal, but I, th- I think the, the analogy... The trouble with analogies, they don't work in all circumstances. But in this particular one, I think it demonstrates how people must be feeling. We are being too tightly wound onto a smaller spool than we are used to. I think it's a fairly good analogy for um, you'll own nothing and you'll like it. Yeah, you're you're going to do with uh, with less. You're going to have a uh, uh, a more bugs. You're going to live in a smaller apartment. You're not going to drive a car. You're not going to own your own clothes. You're not going to do this. You are going to take these made up pretend vaccines that are actually doing more harm than good. The number of people at the moment that I'm hearing with chest infections. Oh, it's not COVID because I had that two weeks ago. They've got something wrong with them and it's because they've had the jab and their immune system has been reduced. We are also in a very mild winter at the moment. And the problem with a mild winter is without that really cold snap that kills off a lot of bugs, people are going to get sick. They they are going to suffer these, these chest infections and upper respiratory uh, problems. So, yeah, getting back to the point, stop taking away our freedoms because we have memory of our freedoms and we will unspool on you and screw your day up. Well, speaking of uh, the COVID jab, I wasn't going to get into it yet, but you brought it up. I suppose we shall start with it. I have an exchange here between Mr. Andrew Bridgeton in Westminster with Prime Minister Richie Sunak regarding that. Would you like to hear it? I'd love to. Andrew Bridgeton. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. More than two decades ago, the then Prime Minister, Tony Blair, misled this House by promoting and endorsing the Post Office Horizon IT system as perfect, (coughs) protecting the large corporation that created it and causing untold harm and damage and misery to innocent people. Can the current Prime Minister think of anything he has promoted in partnership with huge businesses as safe and effective, which has ultimately harmed the British people? And will he use this opportunity to correct that safe and effective statement, or will he choose the same line as Tony Blair, sit back, do nothing, and let the misery just continue to pile up? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, as we've been clear, the Horizon scandal is a terrible miscarriage of justice and we're doing everything that we can to make it right. Uh, To what he was more broadly insinuating, let me be unequivocal from this dispatch box that COVID vaccines are safe, Mr Speaker. Oh, he's a liar. (laughs) (laughs) You're not allowed to you're not allowed to call people a liar in in Parliament. You have to come up with some really inventive ways of, you know, saying that someone's a liar without actually saying they are a liar. You know, um, it's it it might be Bridgen could have stood up and said it would appear that the prime minister uh, and the truth are strangers. But that was would probably still get um, uh, shouted down by the speaker, who would then have Bridgen removed for unparliamentary behaviour. Now, what Sunak could have said is, well, uh, yeah, the Horizon scandal uh, and the Fujitsu, excuse me, teeth in, the Fujitsu company that created the Horizon software is in 
large owned by my father-in-law so i could uh, go and have a chat with um daddy uh, or the wife's daddy and get him to cough up the compensation required for all of the people who were wrongly and falsely accused and tried and convicted and those that took their own lives as a result of this scandal. But no, he won't do that either, will he? Who knows? Who knows whether the people who were victims of this massive miscarriage of justice, all down to basically, you know, the, the old brown envelope backhander bribe way in which these big firms get these big jobs uh, and then fail to do them properly. So, no, Bollock Sunak, your time is up. I hate to say it, but because we don't have a real alternative, that prick Starmer, who is so far up Schwab's backside, if he comes to a sudden halt, he'll appear out of his mouth, uh, is probably actually, going to be the next prime minister. That's that's unbelievable. And, it, you know, if people think in, in the UK that it's bad now, and, I, you know, I'm sorry, I don't mean to speak out of turn here, but, um, you know, it's, it's the UK. I'm not a British citizen, obviously. But um, if you think it's bad now, I assure you it will get a whole lot worse with, with Starmer. It will. Yeah, yeah, because uh, that whole, well, the whole left-wing thing, they don't mind taking personal liberties away if it's for, inverted, inverted commas, the greater good. They'll tax people like me to death whilst giving everything in the coffers away to people who don't want to work, who are in the country illegally. You know, I heard some left-wing Muppet talking about how pro-migration uh, he was. And to a certain extent, if you've got something to offer, then why not? Why shouldn't you be able to take your skills somewhere if you're going to go into that country's tax system and, and pay your dues? Great. But if you've got no discernible skills uh, that that country needs, then no bugger off, go somewhere else, go and get some skills in your own country and then try again. But yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm waffling on because all of these things are interconnected. They all link up. And that kind of response, the, the booing and jeering from the rest of parliament there, when Andrew stood up and said what he had to say, just makes me feel embarrassed to, to have those idiots in charge of my country. Yeah. What else you got, mate? <laughs> well, I do have quite a bit, um, but I I thought that we would uh, we would toddle on over to the uh, to the Middle East. We can stay domestic if you want. Uh, we actually, I tell you what, before we do that, let's let's talk about the uh, the farmers' protest. Since you talked about welding and getting a job well or doing yeah completing a job and a job well done, and I said, well, the only real job is farmer, as you said, and I I tend to agree with you. I don't disagree with that one bit. And well. You see, the farmers, they're a little upset. Well, they blockaded Paris the other day. Uh, I don't know if you caught it. Did you catch that? They, they shut yeah, down yeah, we, all the interchanges around Paris. They, yeah. they, it was total lockdown. Uh, they couldn't get in or out. You know, there, there was nothing. It was, it was all shut down. It was the, tr you know, and the truckers, the, you know, the lorry drivers, they, they got on board with it too. Uh, and they were, they were standing there. I thought it was, thought it was pretty interesting because you've got the police and the gendarme there with water cannons and you've got the farmers with manure and silage, as you call it. And, you know, just, just you know, they're just yeah. going to go against each other. I don't know if the if the police with their water cannons and their their armored vehicles, I don't know if they realize that when they go up against a farm implement like that, they're not going to win. Mm -hmm. um, 
They will not. If you've got an inloader coming at you, they're just going to push you out of the way and that's going to be the end of it. But Macron was not there. Did you catch where he was? He, well, he, he was somewhere having a, a, a lovely dinner with his wife, wasn't he? He was. As a matter of fact, he was in uh, Stockholm at the palace up there in Sweden, uh, having a, a wonderful, lavish, gala-style meal with uh, Mrs. Macron there. And while the farmers were outside of his offices there in Paris, uh, roasting sausages on open flames. Now, he could not go to his second home because, well, you see, they blockaded that part of the country as well. The farmers did. So he couldn't go there. So he went to Stockholm to have dinner. It, it's, it, it, that's fair enough. I mean, you know, if if your favorite cafe or restaurant is closed, then it's McDonald's. Or in his case, if your Michelin-starred restaurant in Paris is, is, is unavailable, then it, it's got to be a royal banquet in Stockholm. Now, I, I do feel a little bit sorry for him uh, in, in this respect because... Sorry for him? <laughs> yeah. I have to hear why. I have to hear why. Those banquets are tedious. I've attended in my life maybe one or two extremely um, high-level uh, posh banquets. And when you... When you're not that important, um, where I'm, I'm assuming he would have been, where, but if you're on one of the legs of the table and not the top table, um, you get served last, your food's cold. If the top table have finished eating, you have to finish eating, whether or not you have you know, eaten enough of what was put in front of you before the next course comes out. You can't even go to the toilet. You have to have really good bladder control because people don't just get up and and leave it's it's so rude i mean half the time i'm sure these people must wear those uh incontinent pads um before they sit down certainly yeah, some of the, the older ones. diapers yeah 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 because uh yeah, no you i've been there i've done that but that you can keep it as far as i'm concerned and if that's what they they think they have to do to maintain an air of superiority and feel like they are the elite and, and above us all. They can crack on. I mean, look, from that picture that you put up, the flunkies behind, they're, they're obviously uh, in in the royal livery of uh, Sweden uh, and they're probably footmen from the palace. Yeah. And again, they, they get that job through pure sycophancy, you know, they they are professional ass kissers. There's no other way to describe it. And just in front of them, between those two ladies, one of which I'm assuming is Macron's wife, no, the one with the blue. Neither of them. No, are. no, neither. Okay, but you know, between those two ladies, you have a professional asshole for them to kiss in the middle. They are the royalty, and he's not. I'm assuming. I'm assuming it would be the other way around. Isn't that how it works? Well, not these days, of course. I mean, what's Sweden got? It's got loads of pine. Um, it's probably got some oil and gas resources somewhere in the Baltic. Uh, and it's got IKEA uh, as an export. Other than that, what have they got? Whereas France, certainly in the world world of luxury food and wine, cheeses, all different kinds of wines, brandies, it's got stuff to export. And of course, it exports its defense 
uh, expertise. Although why anybody ever buys anything French in the world of defence, I don't know, because they've all got default backdoors to surrender and wave a white flag. Now, I'm just being cruel here. Sorry. With the exception of the FAMAS, that's a fantastic rifle. Uh, yeah, but it's ugly. You, yeah, it doesn't a, look very. It's it's not very put, aesthetically pleasing. I'll give you that. No, you you put a fa- FAMAS in in someone's hands and they instantly feel less manly. But um, it, but it is in, reliable. In that's what it, that's what matters. Yeah, it is, it is yeah. reliable. It, now it was one of the yeah. Go on. Aesthetically pleasing, and I would argue more reliable would be uh, anything from a German manufacturer, arms manufacturer. They do make some fantastic things, and you guys are not in, in that. You know, the Americans and the British were we're not too we're we're not too loud. I'm, I'm old fashioned. I, if I'm going to have a long arm, uh, like a, one of the HK rifles, the he, the Hecklecock rifles, I'd like a bayonet on the end. Uh, the the Belgians with their Fabrique Nationale. The, I mean, the weapon that I started with as a soldier was the we it was just known as the SLR the self-loading rifle but it was an FN and it had uh, a great feel to it all right it had a pistol grip it was nice long long weapon it had a very heavy 7.62 round and you could put a bayonet on the end of it but nowadays in in a, in a modern eight-man section so two four-man fire teams there's only I believe one weapon in the British Army that could uh, accept a, a bayonet. All the other ones have either got underslung grenades, are the light support weapons, or the designated marksman weapon. So, yeah, I, I like I like cold steel. So if you can't fit a bayonet on it, uh, I, I wouldn't bother. And yes, you can fit a bayonet on the FAMAS, but it sounds a bit like Hamas, doesn't it? A little bit, but yeah. With, with it being such a short weapon because of its bullpup construction... Yeah, not for me, thanks. Hmm. Well, I suppose I don't know. Are you guys making a change? Speaking on that, are you guys making a change? I know that the the Americans were making a change. Everything's going to be now based on the um, the HK four sixteen design, so they're going to be going with that. Uh, our Royal Marines are certainly experimenting with a new rifle, and I don't think it's actually an experiment anymore. It's it's a new rifle, and it's no longer a bullpup uh, design. Well, um, I suppose on that point, do you remember last week when you were on, we were talking about conscription and we were um, discussing the um, uh, the possibilities of what that's going to look like in the UK, if you recall. Yeah, because you had uh, General Sir Patrick Saunders, excuse me. Saunders, I, yeah, not, I got it not right Colonel Saunders, yes. Yeah, chief, of, um, chief of staff, yeah. Um, I do have a clip he, of, um, yeah, go on. Is he still chief of staff or is he the former chief, chief of staff? No, he is still the chief of, ge- of the general staff, it says. Right. Okay. I do have a clip here of. It's not of General Saunders, though. It's it's a little bit more motivating when you hear it. Sir, Lance Corporal Johnson reporting for duty and responding to the appeal from General Saunders for a citizen army, and encouraging young people across the country to think of the attractions, advantages of some kind of military training or service. Because at the moment they think it's either uncool or unethical. Or perhaps they're not following General Sanders, they're following Colonel Sanders. To find out what we need to do about it, read my column in the Daily Mail. Uh, yeah, okay, Boris. I personally think that uh, we should move from the figure 11 target to a target that is based on his appearance. I think everyone shooting would get a lot better a lot faster. Uh, it's, it's motivational. 
And again, he's deliberately mispronounced General Saunders' last name so that he could fit in Colonel Sanders. Just go f*** yourself, Boris Johnson. You've messed this country up enough, quite deliberately. Anyone reading the Daily Mail, you are being confused by paid opposition. The Daily Fail, as we like to call it, is a right-wing newspaper. Right-wing propaganda is as bad as the left-wing propaganda, and no one should touch it with a barge pole. Stay clear of propaganda. Well, speaking of the um, news outlet that he wrote a column for, The Daily Fail, let's take a look at what some of the residents of England have to say about what he just said. This individual particularly says, you know what? I like playing Call of Duty, but I can't go to war. Supposedly the most uh, patriotic estate. Uh, where Where is this? Hold on. In Leicester. No, it's in uh, Kirby Estate. Is in um, uh, Bermondsey. In Bermondsey. Bermondsey. Excuse me. Bermondsey in it's, London. It's quite right. Yeah, which is renowned for all of the uh, the flags of England when you go through it. Yeah, and decorated. Yeah, they always say that they're you know the most patriotic estate in uh, in England. It's um, one of the last bastions within Greater London um, where there are still white people living and everyone's got to live somewhere but most of london are now black asian middle eastern settlements you've got places in london where you might think you were in somewhere in the middle east when you walk down a high street and you're hearing the call to prayer from several mosques and all the shops are halal and people in burqas uh, are walking the streets so yeah it's in, in some parts of the north of England, it's even worse. But if Bermondsey, someone from Bermondsey doesn't want to go to war, I can't say I really blame them. I grew up wanting to be as involved as I could be because I had a very clear image of what I thought my country stood for. But in recent years, I have lost all faith in what successive British governments have have done and and the way they've led poorly led us into unnecessary wars at the behest of our special relationship with the united states and this has been quite the problem so no sorry sorry not sorry boris johnson gets stuffed this individual a 45 year old uh, man who uh, organizes the uh uh, the housing estate's flags. He says, and I'm quoting, back in the day, I would have said yes in a heartbeat to go to war. He says, but he says, I would have been happy to fight for my country, but now I wouldn't want to fight for people who are put, uh, who put our country down all the time. And the likes of Sadiq Khan, who was running our city with all of his charges, it doesn't make you want to fight. He says the youth are very different nowadays. They've lost their patriotism. And also the only thing they know is technology. They wouldn't have a clue what to do in a war. There would almost be no point. This links me to the discussion you were having with Melissa about the universal soldier. If someone has got the thumb dexterity to play Call of Duty really, really well, or any of the other games where you're leaping in and out of different vehicles, uh, which operate differently, but you're using the same console uh, or controller to move that vehicle around, albeit digitally, then... The way technology is moving, it won't be long before that's what being in the armed forces is all about. You'll join up. You won't need to learn how to march. You won't need any 
military smartness and discipline. You'll just need to be extremely dexterous on a games console with with a controller. Look, that that was a that was a, th- a marketing thing back in the day. You know, I, I've had some fun on that game. You know, I you've had some fun on the game. I think you know, yeah. occasionally we still do. But that's not that's not something that you I, I don't know. Like, were they expecting people to take inspiration from that uh, or something to that effect? Because I it, I don't. It, there was a game released uh, and it came out on PC. It wasn't on the consoles. Uh, called Full Spectrum Warrior. I don't know if you recall. Um, I've not heard of that, no. It was a long time ago, and you are considerably younger than me. So you were probably still in short pants when that, that hit the PCs. But Could've it been, was yeah. based It was based on the program that was being run inside the indoor training facilities in the U.S., and all of the tactics, the manoeuvres, the set pieces for sports fans, so a particular type of ambush, breaching, all the fibula techniques, stacking up on a doorway, were all based what was being taught to the US military at the time. And when I played it and was using these techniques, I couldn't help but think this is why so many infantrymen get killed because the training and and even the tactics differed so much from what I was taught in the British Army that it, it was clear that there, there was a lack of desire for anyone to think independently. Now, one of the last things you need is someone being contrary and doing things differently to everybody else. But you also need people to be able to think fast, reformulate a plan, and then carry on with whatever the mission is. And that's the bit that these future universal soldiers sat in a comfy room in a bunker somewhere operating robot drone pieces of equipment. That's what they're going to be missing. So it it will be overcome. It will be beaten. If you put all your eggs in one basket and go down a certain route as far as developing military technology is concerned, and you take that human factor out of it as much as possible, it will be beaten and it will be overcome. I did uh, discuss a little bit yesterday about uh, with Bruce about how the, uh, the U.S. Navy is dropping their educational requirements. Did you have a, uh, a thought you wanted to weigh in? I know you commented on that on our Telegram page. Did you want to elaborate on any of that, your thoughts on it? Because I could see them, it, if they haven't done it, I could see them in the U.K. Well, following they, suit. Ned mentioned that they yeah. did it just before he left, and I, I left a couple of years later. The level of education is kind of irrelevant from an entry point if you've got the time and effort to bring people up to speed once you've got them to sign on the dotted line and they are in uniform. And I certainly found that my willingness to learn uh, the electronics, the maths, the physics that I learned once I'd got into the Navy, uh, having left the infantry, was much higher than it was when I was at college. As a 16, 17-year-old student, I was able to focus more because it meant if I didn't if I didn't focus on it and I didn't get the achievement, I was going to be out of a job and I didn't want to be out of a job. So, yeah, we've got a problem with recruitment. Dropping the uh, education requirements is fine as long as before they start to have to 
operate for real, whatever that is, whether it's in the Air Force, the Navy, the Army, that they reach those education standards. Because training has to work on known starting standards. So you have to know what level someone's at so that they can cope with the training, whether that's technical training or tactics, so that you can tell when they've qualified, when when they've achieved what the training is meant to do. If they are not at the right start point educationally, they will struggle and they will not keep up with the rest of their classmates. So there's no problem with lowering uh, education standards on entry as long as they bring those education standards up before the serious job role training starts. And, you know, I I work in that world now, so I, I understand this very well. You don't need someone to have the best written English. You don't need someone to be able to do lots of mental arithmetic, especially if there is time to look up how to spell a word or to use a calculator to perform that function. You don't need to do that anymore, but it helps and it speeds up the process if your people have got the right level of education when they start training. Well, that doesn't say a whole lot to this. I I talked about this a couple of weeks back, uh, and I'm sure that we are not going to be alone in this. I'm sure that this is going to be happening in every Western country if it's not already. Uh, U.S. sailor gets 27 months in prison for passing military secrets to China. Did you hear me talking about this? Yeah, but look at the sailor. Well, there is that, yes. Um, his name was um, Wei Hang Zhao. Um, of course, it, it, his American name or his English name is also known as Thomas. You can see that that, that clearly that's Thomas, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's Thomas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pleaded guilty to uh, one count of conspiring with an intelligence officer, one count of receiving a bribe. Worked at a naval base in Ventura County, California, near Los Angeles between August 2021 and May 2023. He received $14,866 in at least 14 separate bribe payments uh, from the People's Republic of China intelligence officer. In exchange for the illicit payments, Zhao also secretly collected and transmitted sensitive non-public information regarding U.S. Navy operational security, military trainings and exercises in critical infrastructure, which I'm, assur- I'm assuming would include you guys too because we do exercises with you. Zhao entered restricted military and naval institutions to collect records for this information. He transmitted the plans on large-scale maritime training exercises in the Pacific Theater, operational orders and electrical diagrams and blueprints for air to ground, excuse me, ground air task oriented radar systems located in Okinawa, Japan. So he gets 27 months in prison. He gets a $5,000 fine. So he got to keep 10 grand. You see, I'm sorry, but he's committed treason. Treason. Yes. And do you not still have a federal treason penalty of (laughs) death? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. So, but the uh, charge was not treason. <laughs> Jeez, the charge was conspiracy, oh, and he was. Yeah. Not, and it gets better. He was not tried in a military court. He was tried in civil in a civil court. It was the case was handled by the FBI. He he should have been tried in a military court. Absolutely, then taken out and shot. And you see, this is the problem. We're we're always having to be the nice guy. We're always having to wear a white hat rather than the black hat. Um, Had that been a person in China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, guilty of the same charges, there would now be just a big human-shaped space where that person used to be. 
Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. That we. It's <laughs> middle of the afternoon. I've got. I've got messages coming in. I'm sorry. I have to respond to them. It, it wasn't until I saw your eyelash move that I realised you hadn't frozen. It'd make me very so, good for a, for an op somewhere. So just keep that in mind if you need. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. I'm sorry. Uh, that sailor should never have got through the security vetting in the first place. But look, I mean, the United States of America is made up of how many different races? 86, I think. Yeah, we have people from just about every country, I believe. So yeah. Every, every and, kind of nationality. And during the Second World War, some really loyal Americans were interned because of where they came from. So now your security services... Uh, and there's this idea that, oh, you're not allowed to profile. It's not fair. Everybody who has got family in China who is in your armed forces should be under the closest scrutiny. Likewise, here in the UK, everybody who has got family or connections to hostile countries should be being scrutinized. I have to jump through hoops every couple of three years for my security clearance. And I told you, my, I've, I've got a Spanish stepfather. And when I wanted to uh, join the Navy, uh, because I'd got into the infantry through the back door via a territorial army unit, so a, a reservist unit, and then I got attached to my regular battalion. So uh, I'd, I'd got in through the back door and I'd managed to do it without the security clearance. Not consciously, but it, it, that's just the way it happened. When I went to join the Navy, because I put on the paperwork, I have a Spanish stepfather, it took, I don't know, six to eight months to personally vet him going back through his family history in Spain. Um, and thankfully, his family fought on the fascist side during the Spanish Civil War, because if that had fought on the communist side, I would not have got into the in, into the Navy. So uh, if they could do that back then, why can't they do it now? Well, we wouldn't want to offend anybody, would we? Well, you might not want to. I quite f oh, I enjoy do. it. No, I, I do too. Oh, you have to watch that one. That, that was I do. just slipped that's, in there. That's just slipped in there. You know, I, I yeah. occasionally I get I get feedback from listeners saying, uh, you missed this at this time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you actually pointed out a couple of them. Um, but yeah. that's just the way it is. So this is not this is not uh, just subject to China. It's also subject to Iran. Yep. The U.S. charges four Chinese nationals with exporting sensitive American electronic equipment to Iran's military. So this is a different case that has taken place now, or at least so I thought. This surveillance goes all the way back to 2007. They've had these individuals under surveillance till, since 2007, and it's still allowed to continue with no arrest made. You know, I can wind up in an orange jumpsuit under a special extradition to the United States if I accidentally send the wrong piece of text even over to our fellow Five Eyes countries uh, under ITAR, the International Treaty on Arms Restrictions. And there's another one, uh, which I should be able to remember, but it's only three letters. Because basically anything that the US makes, anything that we make and the US buys comes under those limitations and you have to have special licenses to share that information. So 
on the training for that, those things that we all have to do regularly, not just once and then don't worry about it again. It's done on a yearly basis. It tells you that if you've got dual nationality or are um, of, of a single nationality, but working in in a in a different country, you have to be so careful not to pass anything that could be uh, considered as coming under the international treaty of arms restrictions. So, if these people have been doing it since two thousand and seven, then it's been deliberate because they will have been trained, they will have been informed what they can and can't do, and again, why are your is your country not enforcing its treason laws? Well, I, I think the answer is pretty simple. It's infiltration and subversion. Four Chinese nationals allegedly began funneling equipment to Iran in 2007 to bolster the sanctioned country's production of military equipment, such as drones and ballistic missile systems, according to the Department of Justice. The nationals allegedly smuggled the equipment to Iran through Chinese-based front companies and claimed that China was the final destination for the exports in order to evade legal scrutiny. Chinese nationals were charged again with conspiracy and violating the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, as well as smuggling and submitting false export information. The individuals could face prison if they are convicted. Well, they wouldn't be facing prison in China. They no. would be facing be a hailed. firing squad. They'd oh, well. get tissue typed first to make sure that they didn't have any spare organs that anyone in their Politburo needed, uh, and then they would be removed from the human race. On screen here is a, um, well, it's an unveiling, really, of Iran's latest uh, stealth drone. What do you think of this? There's no way uh, it could be a cardboard tube, but, you know, it's Well, I don't, I don't know. It looks pretty stealthy. It's got some features uh, from looks like the, the the Second World War V2 rockets. Or no, what was the smaller one? The the V the V1, the doodlebug. V yeah, the, there was the there was the little tiny the the it was V1, and then the V2s were the, the larger ones. The, yeah, they were the, the larger ballistic yeah. ones that brawn. They were, they were um, they could still hit something though. Yeah, the V1s oh, they, were not. Yeah, they, yeah. they could, but it's it's just the shape of the intake at the top there. Yeah. That's that scoop is is an air intake. So it's obviously you know, still burning a aviation fuel or rocket fuel. So it's going to have a heat signature. Uh, it's not electric. Uh, who knows? It, it could be the real thing. It, it looks fairly stealthy, but I like the fact that they've got a pointy front to it because if you've ever seen the film The Dictator with Sasha Baron Cohen, you've not seen it, no? Um, no, I have not. I, I saw I saw it, Borat many years ago, but that, that, was, that was all I, I saw. Yeah, yeah. He gets shown around his uh, his research um, and development center, and uh, his chief scientist shows him their new missile because it's got a domed top. Because no, 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 this is not scary. Pointy is scary. You need to be pointy, and that certainly is a, a very pointy possible drone or possible couple cutout. Yeah, I tend to think it's a cardboard cutout because they're unveiling their versions of the uh, the MQ nine, which is our uh, our Reaper drone, which the North Koreans oddly got. Somehow, I don't know. It couldn't be the fact that we could have possibly given it to them. But the Sentinel drones that we have that are that were designed by, I believe it was uh, uh, Northrop. I believe that you know the ones that we gave them under Obama that we actually didn't give them that they said was an EMP that brought it down where it landed, you know, perfectly in a three point landing there at the base outside yeah. of Tehran. They've never actually been able to get those to work. They have them. They've they've been able to make some mock ups, but they've never actually 
gotten them to work. So I don't believe, even if that is real, I don't believe it's actually operational. Well, there's there's new cutting edge science involved in these things. And if you want to know where you are in terms of your heading, your global position, uh, how far you've moved and all these kind of things, instead of it being a gyro compass system nowadays, it's, it's things called ring laser gyros. These are little circles at angle, at, you know, two little circles at a slight angle to each other with a beam of light going round. And it, it works out how fast the light travels in, in one direction or the other. And it tells tells the uh, the computer that it's connected to which way it's moving and which way's up. Yeah, it works on a thing called the Sagnac effect. And I don't know a great deal about it other than, than what I've just explained. But it's it's new technology and we're only just getting to grips with it properly ourselves. So if they're having problems, it's probably because they haven't enough research yet. But there, there's always ways and means of, of of making that research happen and and so on. So it, it doesn't surprise me that they've not been able to make them work because it's it's relatively new technology. Dragonfire. I mentioned it to you privately last week. Uh, it's now it's now public. Uh, have you heard about it? No, I haven't heard anything about uh, Dragonfire. As I understand it, it's a, it's a directed energy weapon. I have a piece here on it uh, that I would like to play, uh, and then yeah, we, can, sure. we can have a little discussion on it. This is what's being explored now uh, to be brought online and be operational in the UK Defence Forces. Dragonfire's uh, laser-directed energy weapon demonstrator that we've been building in order to prove the technology around laser weapons to show that they're genuinely practicable technology for delivering um, weapon systems. Laser weapons are something that are brand new. We don't know um, what their benefits are going to be, technically whether it's actually going to be achievable to, achievable to use them. But the sense is that this is a has the potential to be something that could be absolutely game-changing. Our current weapon systems are large, expensive, heavy, and the logistics chain required to move them around is extraordinary. Something which we can just fire using, using a laser weapon and have on our platforms is potentially going to be much cheaper um, and, and achieve the same, same effects at a much lower cost. Working collaboratively with DSTL uh, as an industry representative, it's been a, uh, a really good experience. In some ways, uh, you forget that actually it's a partnership between industry and MOD and, uh, and DSTL, and we actually work together as one team, very, very closely delivering the capability. The biggest challenges really are around the fact that we're trying to build a system with bits of technology which are absolutely world-leading and we're trying to combine them all into a single system. So we don't just have the challenges of trying to do one piece of groundbreaking technology, we've got to do three or four all at the same time and for them all to operate as well as each other at the same time in order to deliver an effect. The lasers are a really key te technical aspect, but it's all about building systems that will, will protect our, our military, our soldiers and our sailors. The point that we've got to now, which is the demonstration, which is the culmination of five years worth of effort from hundreds of, of, of scientists and analysts and commercial staff and project managers in order to get to a position where we've proven that the technology is effective, is fantastically exciting. This is not a new concept. This is something that's been going on for for decades now. Uh, I've got books and documentation, uh, you know, military uh, strategy books and things going back to the 60s, 
where this was being, uh, you know, at, you know, early prototypes back then being used and, and being experimented with. So the fact that this is a new technology, may, maybe it's new that it's being employed on such a mass scale like this, and, and we're able to have more efficient means of production, you know, and, and of course, energy usage. But as far as this being a, a, a revolutionary new concept, it's not, is it? No, it's, it's, it's not a new concept, but certainly what the gentleman there in the tweed uh, waistcoat or vest for our American listeners, was saying is that you've got cutting-edge technology that needs to be uh, amalgamated with each other. So uh, producing a a laser uh, or directed energy that can be focused so that it can interrupt the guidance system or indeed ignite the warhead of an incoming missile or punch a hole through the side of a tank involves first of all uh how to direct it how to generate enough power uh and how to guide the system onto onto the target so uh you've got massive changes in in frequency because whatever type of energy is being directed is going to be somewhere in the rf spectrum and certain materials um respond to different frequencies differently you have to have kind of whatever the directed energy is, it needs to be to some extent frequency agile, which means it has to change its frequency depending on what it's being asked to hit. So, yeah, there, there, there's a lot to unpack there, and they're, they're not going to reveal anything. They, they, they're going to show you the kit. I'm, I'm guessing that was somewhere um, in darkest... Devon or Cornwall, looking at the um, looking at the the surroundings, there were definite moors. So there's there's big sections that are cut off for in the southwest for military uh, research. I would have loved to have seen it fire, but you you never could. They're never going to no, show that. They're not going to show that. As a matter of fact, uh, there were there were reports of the U.S. successfully testing something out in the middle of, of the Pacific <laughs> uh, with something similar, but that was um, that was shut down pretty quickly. Uh, that that was not that was not shown. I would like to see some type of a um, some type of a, of a new concept and, and this be actually operational and something that we could employ. Uh, because I think it would give us a, a significant advantage, uh, and it's an advantage right now that is that is badly needed. I believe it's also, um, you know, they're going to have to to do it. They're going to have to develop the, the, these kind of weapons. But um, and I'm sure you have thought about it because it always annoys me when people say, if you think about it, because they're assuming you haven't, um, which is a bit rude. But if you think about it, you've got one of these. Um, you've got. <laughs> You've got one of these uh, directed weapon, um, or sorry, directed energy weapons on a platform, and you get a localized EMP. So your uninterrupted power supply is definitely not uninterrupted. It's interrupted. What are you going to fire back with? If if you made uh, a platform with only these types of weapons on, it would be so vulnerable to that kind of... Uh, attack to an EMP to um, even just uh, a machinery breakdown, which happens all the time 
on ships. You know, we practice drills over and over again. Every day, the ME department, the Marine Engineering Department, will conduct machinery breakdowns and switchboard drills to make sure power's getting to where it needs to be got because you, you, you are going to suffer these kind of problems. You still need something that doesn't need electricity to make it go bang and to take out a target. Uh, so the concept of of having a, you know a whole ship with its only weapons being directed energy just doesn't work for me. I'm afraid. No. What What are your thoughts on? Uh, and Bruce and I have talked about this before. What are your thoughts on on the rail gun what, that fires a projectile using you know magnetic force and it it, got, it it throws it. You know, it throws like a tungsten rod and it yeah. can hit a target with with precision. You know, a couple of hundred miles away. It's the speed at which you can get the projectile to go because. It, it uses, like the old German 88 from the Second World War, those were not high explosives rounds. They were armor-piercing solid rounds, and the barrel actually got narrower towards the muzzle. So your muzzle velocity, because of the amount of energy uh, to the rear of the, the projectile, building up from the explosive gases in the, in the propellant cartridge, it gets faster, faster, faster. And when it hits, it really hits hard. So tungsten or depleted uranium, very dense, and it goes fast. The railgun, because you haven't got to worry about a, uh, a, a projectile cartridge, sorry, what's the word, a propellant cartridge, uh, and it just picks up the magnetism and flings it down the barrel you can get these super high muzzle velocities and it can be extremely accurate but it uses a lot of energy it uses a lot of electricity well i think a possible solution to that would be this concept that we're dealing with now these small modular reactors you know if you install something like that then there's your energy well yeah you've already got stable of course you've already got um nuclear powered cruisers yeah, Ticonderoga class, I believe, was. Uh, if you look at the shape of the uh, force structure on the Ticonderoga class, you can see how the the ship is basically built round a reactor. You you're just looking that up now. Yeah, you look at that. Uh, you can see where the the reactor right is there. Yeah, right there. Right there. Yeah, and but it's still quite a big platform. So uh, a smaller destroyer or frigate without that kind of energy that without that kind of electrical power on tap will struggle to operate uh, a, a magnetic chain gun that's uh, a rail gun i should yeah. say yeah well we're coming up on the final few minutes here do you have any final uh, jabs you'd like to get in there any fun no, no pun intended no no i've got i've got the rest of my life to get back at you too it's not a problem okay. i am a word fascist you're quite right <laughs> and and i i enjoy being so so i will take that honorific thank you very much any final thoughts before you get away for the week? I'd just like to say hi to Montassa, guy I worked with out in the UAE. Uh, he messaged me today because my phone got um, cloned, basically. My phone number got cloned. I've, I sent a message out to everybody saying that I was, you know, I've got a new number now and this is my message. I've had so many calls in the You're last need to get day and a half. Because it has to go into my other things, so... I'm pretty sure I've already sent it to you, but um, I don't know if you've checked your messages. Yeah, it's been really nice. Uh, there is a silver cloud to every lining. So I've had phone calls and messages from people I haven't spoken to for months, if not years, uh, all because some arsehat decided to clone my phone number. I'm very sorry about that. I'll Was have it to you? Get that. 
No, it was not me. No, it was not then me. Then why are you I, sorry? I, okay. Well, I'm yeah. sorry that it happened to you because I know how much of a pain that can be. So yeah, I will need to get that number for you. If you can send it over to me this afternoon, that'd be I, great. Shall, I will indeed. Very good. All right. Uh, that is going to do it for us for, uh, for today. So for those of you who are interested in supporting the work that we do, we would greatly appreciate your support. The link will be in the program description down below. You can click that and it will take you over to our subscription page where you can consider becoming one of our paid subscribers and or contribute a small donation to us. Thank you very much. That will do it for us for today and for this week. It's been an absolute pleasure, my friend. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone and have a great evening.